Today, we're going to look at um, using offshore staff. Uh, so the first thing we're going to go through is looking at the ethics of offshoring tasks, because that's something um, I often get hit with and other people will get, you'll get hit with as well. If you're using um, you know, staff offshore for a fraction of the cost here, you know, how ethical is it to pay someone 20 grand Australian for a job that it would cost 80 grand Australian to, to employ someone locally? And don't you feel bad about taking jobs away from you know, Australians? So you know, looking at the ethics of it, we'll go through that in a sec. Um, what sort of tasks you can outsource? Um, so we'll cover that and give you just a, a broad outline. Um, we're going to look at uh, where options, the options to find them. So how you connect with uh, freelancers offshore. And then we're going to look at two of the main platforms, which are the ones that we use. And then uh, we're also going to look at how you manage your expectations and approach to using freelancers. Um, so I'm going to refer to them mainly as, as freelancers. Um, you know, it depends on how you do it. We have a significant team who aren't based in Australia. Uh, they are part of the team. Like when we have full team meetings, they're there. We've got managers of different departments who are there. So when we even have a senior team meeting. We've got uh, employees who are offshore and we treat them as part of the team. So that wouldn't be what I think of as a freelancer. You know, a freelancer is typically someone you bring in to do a task, but most of the terminology online is around a freelancer. So it's an offshore freelancer. Um, so we'll just use that terminology. So when I say freelancer, you're just using a, a an offshore person for today um, who is living in an economy where the cost of living is less than Australia to do a task for you. Um, so we're going to have a look at how you do that. And you know, um, yeah, the, the different options, I suppose. Um, so the first one, the ethics of outsourcing. If any of you guys have been you're watching the videos or getting the nurture scene, you may have heard me tell one of my favorite stories, which is about a guy named Kiet. So Kiet uh, lives in Vietnam. He, when, I, when we first engaged him to work for us, it was with Dynamic, and we were attempting to out, uh, have all of our estimating done offshore. So you may have heard the term virtual assistant. Um, if not, you have now. Um, a lot of people will talk about VAs or a virtual assistant uh, being basically like an assistant who would help you in the office, but they're not based with you in the office. They're virtual. And the most common virtual assistants are going to be offshore. You can get virtual assistants who are based in Australia and they'll just be you know, in Alice Springs, sitting on a computer, helping you. Well, they can be in the next suburb over, honestly, now with COVID. They just, you never meet them. They're, they're working from home on a computer. Um, so they're an assistant there, but they're not sitting in the office with you. They are just in the virtual world. So VA is a very common term that you'll hear as you, you know, if you haven't heard it already, in looking, reading business books and looking at forums and, and going to other things. We created our term internally for VE, being virtual estimator. So we wanted to try and hire virtual estimators. Now, in looking to create that, we said, well, they're not going to be based in Australia. So we want them to have a level of understanding and experience of construction, even though it won't be Australian construction methods. So we want them to be university qualified um, in a similar field. So architecture, construction management, 
um, civil engineering, something like that, that is construction related, uh, related, that would give them the ability to pick up very, very quickly uh, what we do in Australia, because they've got a lot of the base knowledge and they can just go, oh, it's done slightly differently, but I get it. Because um, obviously anyone who's been to Southeast Asia, uh, construction methodology in Vietnam, very, very different um, to Australia. Uh, Sparky's love it over there when it's just like, you know, the, the power lines are just these big massive cables. And if you need a new freaking, if you need to put power into the house, um, you just shimmy up the pole with a pair of pliers in your teeth and, and the, the wire over your shoulder and just wire it in um, yourself, you know, so, and then all the scaffolds, bamboo. So they're not used to seeing Australian methodology. So we set actually the limit as you must have at least a master's degree. Now, Kiet had a PhD above a master's. So he'd gone and done three years bachelor. He'd probably done a year's honours, then maybe two years of master's, then five to six years to do his PhD in civil engineering. He was actually a lecturer at university in Vietnam at Ho Chi Minh City International University, which is a freaking mouthful. Um, being that the way the Vietnam War turned out, the Vietnamese government is still a communist country or is still a highly socialist government. And they set the rates for all the universities because they own them over there. Kiet was paid as a PhD university lecturer, 150 US dollars a month. That was his prescribed salary. We brought him on to work for us 45 hours a week. And we were paying at the time 600 US dollars a month. That works out to 7,200 US dollars a year, 11 to 12 grand Australian, depending. That was for someone to work for us for 45 hours a week, which was what we termed full-time because that's where all our guys worked. They worked seven till 4.30. So it was a nine hour day, five days a week uh, to work for us 45 hours a week um, during a set eight hour window. Now, we had an incredibly high caliber person who we were paying what we saw as a pittance. To get someone with a PhD in civil engineering, I don't know what you'd pay in Australia. It'd be 150 grand plus easy. And we were paying someone 12 grand. But for him, he was suddenly earning four times more than what he was earning as an associate professor lecturing at the university. Now he didn't give up lecturing because he really enjoyed teaching students. But what he did was stop doing the marking and the boring stuff. He literally hired his own actual assistant to be with him and do the marking and other things. And he just went and did the lecturing. 